Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Father, your name stands above every name, above every power and dominion. You, God, are holy and sovereign and good. And Lord, we praise you that in all of your holiness and all of your goodness and all of your power that you have promised your presence with us. As we look at your word this morning, I pray, God, that we would know that reality, that we would know that this God who created everything is with us right now in whatever circumstance we're in. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Go ahead and grab your Bible with me and open up to the Old Testament right at the beginning. We're going to be in Exodus, and we're going to start in chapters 32 and 33. So we're going to be in a couple different places, but if you want just a place to ground yourself right now, that's a great place to start as we continue in this series called God's Promises and My Responsibility. And just as we prayed We're going to be looking this morning at the promise that God has given us of his presence. This presence that that goes with us wherever we go. And and I thought this week about my son. Many of you know Parker. He's 11 years old. And Parker just started fifth grade about three or four weeks ago. And one of the things that he has always struggled with in some way is just these these feelings of anxiety. He gets it honestly, right? This is something that I struggle with, and it's something that he has struggled with. And last year, we had such a great year. He did so well in school. But this year, he's just really been having a hard time. He's top of the school for elementary. He's got new homework assignments and these things that are just weighing him down. And it comes out a lot of times in the morning, where he thinks about the things that he has to do, the, the, the homework he's going to have to have, the teachers that he's going to have to deal with, the, the feeling of loneliness while he's at school, and, and it's a really big struggle for him. Well, we sat down a couple weeks ago one night, and he was really having a hard time with what was coming the next day, and I finally got him to just open up with me about what was going on. And he said something that was kind of telling. He said, I just wish that you or mommy could be with me at school. Right? Because in his mind, he's all alone. He has nobody there. He thinks that people don't like him, that his teachers don't like him. And so he feels this and he says, if you could just be there with me, then it would solve all of the problems. I would feel safe. I would feel secure. I wouldn't feel like I was on my own. Now, that is a fairly unreasonable request for us, right? Like, like we can't spend all day, every day at school with him. That's not, not something that we can really make work. And so we've been trying some other things to help him out. But as unreasonable as the request may seem to me and my wife, it points to an important reality for us about God and his promises, and particularly the promise that he has given us about his presence with his people. It's a promise that we really find all over our Bibles. And in fact, I struggled this week. On Tuesday night, I was working from about 7 p.m. until 11 o'clock midnight. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had started three different sermons 
looking at different instances of God being with his people. And I finally just had to land on something and, and preach it. But we find it specifically in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, where the author writes this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I look at that phrase, because God has said. It's one of the most important phrases in our Bible. In fact, Charles Spurgeon writes, Thus saith the Lord is the only solid ground of comfort for God's people. The only solid ground of comfort. Why? Because we know that when God says it, when God promises it, then it must be true because God cannot lie. God cannot break a promise. So I find it difficult to, to find solid ground in the comfort of other people because I know that other people can disappoint me. I know that other people can break their promises. I know that other people can lie. I have disappointed people. Even in my words of comfort, I, I have disappointed people because I, I'm, I'm human and I make mistakes. But God, God cannot lie. He can't break a promise. And so if I read something like, because God has said, then I can be assured that what comes after is absolutely 100% true and real. And what did God say? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That is an amazing promise that is for you and me today. But the reason that I wanted us to start in Exodus 32 and 33 is so that we could look at a time when the people of God came close to losing his presence. And just the possibility of this allowed them to see the preciousness of the promise that we are seeing here. In the chapters leading up to 32, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai with God, where God was giving him the law that he would then pass on to his people, this, this covenant law that would dictate how they were to live their lives because God knew what was best for them. So Moses is up on the mountain with God. He's up there for a relatively short period of time. He writes that he's, he's there for just 40 days and 40 nights. But while this is going on, the people who are camping at the base of the mountain, they, they begin to grow impatient. They began to think that, that not just their leader, not just Moses had left them, but that God himself had abandoned them. And so they approached Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. He's the priest who's been left in charge of the people while Moses is gone. They approach Aaron and they say, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now Aaron, who by most accounts in our Old Testament, isn't like one of those really awesome leaders, right? Like he makes some mistakes and he, he doesn't push back on them here and say, hey guys, do you remember those 10 things that God told us not to do? Back in Exodus 20, he didn't say Exodus 20, but back, back where God told us that there were 10 things that we were not supposed to do, I'm pretty sure that this thing that you're asking is fairly high on that list, Right? He doesn't say that. No, he immediately begins to do exactly what 
they ask. He instructs the people to take off their gold. And he throws it in the fire and he forges it and he, he uses tools and he fashions it into the likeness of a calf. That's why we call it the golden calf. And then as this calf comes out of the fire and the assembly sees it, the entire assembly declares together, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Can you imagine the audacity of that statement? And then they threw a party and they made sacrifices to this inanimate object. Now realize that what they have done is they have tried to manufacture some kind of divine presence that would go with them on the next leg of their journey because in their minds, Moses was gone and God was gone. And how quickly they had forgotten the God who had been with them. See, it wasn't that long ago that they witnessed the plagues. Remember the, the 10 plagues that God laid down on the Egyptian people in order to free them from the hand of Pharaoh, God passing over their homes and sparing their firstborn children would have been as recent to them as the start of summer is to us. They probably still had dirt on their sandals that came from the bottom of the Red Sea that they passed through on dry ground as God parted the waters for them. God was still leading them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was clearly with them. They had seen him do so much, and yet it took just a few weeks of wondering where he was before they decided to make a powerless, inanimate object to be their God. It's easy for us to look back at this history of God's people and wonder why they were so forgetful. I used to do this all the time when I first started reading my Bible. I would read Genesis and Exodus and all these points where I would just think to myself, these people are so stupid. Like how, how could they forget these things, right? We, we do this all the time. We read it and we think, God is doing amazing things among these people. I mean, these aren't stories that are being passed down. These are things that these people lived out in their lives. And surely we tell ourselves, if we saw God do the kinds of things that we read about in our Bibles, then we would never forget that his presence is with us wherever we go. But as I've matured in my own faith and in my reading of my Bible, I remind myself often that any time I see in my Bible a crowd of people doing something they probably shouldn't be doing, I would probably be one of the people in that crowd. Like, like many of us would probably be in that crowd that we're looking at and saying, don't do that. Because we are humans by nature and this is the nature of humanity. And I know that because God is still doing amazing things for us today. And we still have to be reminded of his promise, of his presence that we see all over our Bibles. No matter how much we've seen God do in the past, we often forget that he's with us today. We're just like the Israelites in this way. No matter how much we see him do, we forget that he's with us. And you say, well, God doesn't do the kinds of things today that he did back then. Well, doesn't he? What about every time we see another person repent and give their lives to Jesus Christ in baptism? Isn't that a miracle so great that the whole host of heaven celebrates when just one sinner repents? 
Or what about when God chooses to heal you or someone you love of cancer? Back in May, one of our newer folks called the church. Now, people don't call the church much anymore, but she called the actual landline of the church, and our, our secretary picked up. And the whole reason that she called was because her husband, who had been diagnosed with a pretty serious cancer, had just received a clean scan. Like, like, completely unexpectedly, the cancer was gone. And her, one of her first calls was to celebrate with the church because she recognized that God had done this for them. Or what about when God heals someone of addiction and he, and he shows them that he can be their one and only? Or what about when you experience in real life the story that Dave talked about last weekend and the prodigal son either because you've been lost and you're now found or because your own wayward child has come home, right? These things happen all the time. God answers prayers, not always in the way that we want, but certainly always in the way that is best. And what happens a lot of the time in our lives is that we will pray for something, we will ask God for something, and we're going to see God answer that prayer in some way, either in a huge way or maybe a small way. And then the very next time that things don't go the way that we want, we wonder why he's so long in coming down from the mountain, why he's not there with us. We ask with David in Psalm 10, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We feel alone and it doesn't take much time of feeling alone before we are searching for something to go before us and to give us comfort. It's no coincidence that the author of Hebrews connects the promise of God's presence to the love of money. Now, this isn't going to morph into a sermon about money, but he, he makes this connection to God's presence and the love of money. Remember how the promise started. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said. Money is a very tangible representation of those things that we allow to become our idols, those things that we want to go before us so that we can have assurances in the places that we're going, but it could be any number of things with which we replace God. In midweek this week, David shared with us how Jesus protected the people that were in his care. And in group afterwards, we were talking about those things in our lives that we look to for protection that are outside of God or in addition to God. We brought up things like relationships that if this person would only love me the way that I want them to love me, then I would feel like I'm, I'm, I have somebody with me. Or where we bring up possessions, if I can just surround myself with enough things, then I'll be protected. Our, our routines, I'm a routine person, and so I look to build into my life a schedule of things that I'm going to do. And when that gets interrupted, I feel like I'm unsafe or religion. The church as an organization. But if I look at the church as an organization, not as a family, as a body of believers, then when the organization breaks down, I find myself lost. And the point is that in our forgetfulness of the promise of God's presence, we seek these things out to make us feel safe or to fill our emptiness and our loneliness that's going on in our hearts. 
In a sense, this is what the Israelites were doing. Remember that they were coming out of a nation, Egypt, that had idols for every little G God that they worshipped. And with their God, with the Israelites' God seemingly absent, they decided that they needed a representative. And of course, God had told them, if we look back at those 10 things he said not to do, the very first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one says, you'll not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. And they've immediately broken the first two. And God's consequence comes in chapter 33, verse 2. God is about to send them out. And he says this, I will send an angel before you. I'm going to drive out all of these nations. You go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, at first, it seems like what God is saying to them is good. He's going to send an angel ahead of them. That, that's awesome. Angels are powerful beings and humans can't stand up against angels. That's a, that's a good thing that they're going to have an angel with them. It's like having the best bodyguard in the whole world right there with you. And, and through this angel, he's going to drive out all of these other nations that would be enemies to his people. He's even given them assurance that they are going to go into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that would have houses they didn't build and vineyards that they didn't plant. So what's the problem here? If God has given them these kinds of assurances, what's the problem? Why does verse 4 tell us that the people heard these as distressing words and began to mourn? It's because God said, I will not go with you. See, the irony is that they formed an idol because they felt like they were missing the presence of God. The very presence that their idol worship was now causing them to lose. They'd missed it. And they knew, just as you and I do, that the absence of God's presence leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us vulnerable. For them, making it into the promised land didn't matter if God was not with them. Because eventually they would find themselves susceptible not only to the enemy nations that were around them, but to themselves. To their own forgetfulness and idol making and tendency towards rebellion. They needed God. They needed him and his presence to protect them from these things. Now remember that God's promise for you and me today, because God has said his promise for you and me today is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That when we are united with him, God's presence by his spirit is with us everywhere we go. But when we find ourselves forgetting that God is with us and seeking after other things to go before us, we open ourselves up to a whole host of challenges that come as a result of trying to replace God with worldly things. And at first, those things that we seek after may seem like they're good for us. Things may even go well for a little while. But I find that when left alone, I, I myself, when I'm left alone, I tend to be my own worst enemy. I tend to get in my own way of a relationship with God. And it doesn't take very long for me to forget altogether the expectation that God has for me as one of his children. Because God does have an expectation of me. There is real 
right, and wrong. And I forget what that expectation is. And the thing is that even though God never leaves, he will allow you to feel the weight of his absence so that you will be reminded of the preciousness of his presence. Thomas Merton, in his book, No Man is an Island, wrote, God who is everywhere never leaves us. He sometimes seems to be present, sometimes to be absent. If we do not know him well, we do not realize that he may be more present to us when he is absent than when he's present. That God is always with me, but when I feel his absence because I've allowed myself to, to go a different direction, then God will use that feeling of his absence to draw me back to himself and to understand the preciousness of his presence. This is what is going on with the Israelites in this moment. When God says, I'll not go with you, they, they, they realize what they have done and what they are about to lose because of the choice that they had made at the base of that mountain. Now, fortunately, as Moses does multiple times, he intercedes, he stands between God and the people, and he speaks to God as he speaks to a friend. He says, if your presence does not go with us, then don't send us up from here. Don't even bother sending us if you're not going to go. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, anytime Moses would stand between God and the people, anytime he would intercede on their behalf and request that God would do certain things, he would always appeal to God's reputation, to God's glory. How will anyone know that you've done this if you're not there with us? The world will make an assumption that you're not here, and so things must not have gone well. And because of the relationship that God has with Moses, God relents, and he agrees to do as Moses asks, and he does go with his people. And the rest of the journey would be fraught with challenges and setbacks. They would have to wander in the desert for 40 years because of their sin. And yet God would be with them the rest of the way. In fact, God would be with them even as they crossed over the Jordan into that land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now here's the connection to the New Testament promise that we read back in Hebrews 13. The connection that I want you to grab a hold of. When the author writes, because God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he is directly quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 31. If you want to turn over there in your Bible, you can see this. De Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is the moment that Moses is giving final encouragement to the people before passing the mantle of leadership on to Joshua. After 40 years of wandering in the desert and just before they're going to cross the river into the promised land, I want you to listen to how Moses encourages them and how he encourages Joshua in chapter 31, verses 3, 6, and 8. Verse 3, Moses says, The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. And in verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, he says to Joshua. Do you hear the emphasis 
in Moses' encouragement and the echoes of the moment when they almost lost the presence of God, he says, the Lord himself will go with you. Himself is an interesting word because the sentence would have the same meaning if Moses had simply said, the Lord will go with you. But he doesn't. He says, the Lord himself will go with you. Himself is, is called an intensive pronoun because it modifies the subject of a sentence. You guys didn't think you were getting a grammar lesson today, but here's your grammar lesson for the day. The sentence, the Lord himself is with you. Who is the subject of the sentence? Say it out loud. This is participatory. The Lord. So himself modifies who? The Lord. The Lord himself will go with you. And what Moses is saying is the Lord and nobody else because nobody else is needed. The Lord himself will go with you. Not a mere representative of God, not an inanimate representation of God, not even an angel of God, as awesome as that would be, but God himself because he is all that you need. The Lord himself will go with you. You see, when Parker said last week that he just wished I or Amanda could be at school with him every day to make him feel more at ease, what he was saying is nobody else would do. It, it, it has to be you, except maybe his pawpaw. He loves him more than me. No. He might have said it this way. Daddy, if, if you yourself go with me, then I know I won't have anything to be worried about. In his 11-year-old mind, the key to his success, to his safety, the cure for his anxiety and his depression and his loneliness and his sadness were all found in me or his mom being there with him. This is what Moses is trying to get across to the Israelites when he tells them that the Lord himself will go with him. And what the author of Hebrews is trying to get across to us when he remembers back to this time and he tells us to be content with what we have because God has said that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The response to the promise is found in both Moses' final encouragement and in the second part of our Hebrews passage. Because Moses says over and over again, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 118 when he writes, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 118 in context says this, When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. In both places and many other places in our Bibles where we are assured of God's presence, we see these words, do not be afraid. And that's the final point in your and my responsibility that when we realize that God's very presence is with us wherever we go and whatever we do, we have no reason to fear. None at all. Now that doesn't mean that we aren't going to face scary things. 
When Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan River into the land on the other side, the very first obstacle in their their path was the walled city of Jericho. There were still scary things that they had to face. That even if I were to go to school with Parker, he would still have to face homework assignments and mean kids and unkind teachers and terrible cafeteria food and all of those things that, that kids have to deal with at school. Those things don't go away. But what would change for him would be the one who is standing beside him. And it would make all the difference in his world because he knows that I have some power to protect him in case he faces something too scary. But I am a human being. And I have my limitations as a dad. That even if I were with him, there would be things that I couldn't change or wouldn't be able to do. And so I want him to understand. I want my son to understand that he is a Christian. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. And because he is a follower of Jesus Christ, there is someone infinitely greater than me who is already with him every single day, who is going with him everywhere he goes. You see the question in Hebrews 13, 6, in Psalm 118 of what can mere mortals do to me is a rhetorical one. The answer is so obvious, it doesn't need or warrant a response when God himself the God of the universe who created everything that we see around us, who led the Israelites out of Egypt, who parted two separate bodies of water to get them to the next place. When God himself, who gave his very son in order to save your soul and mine, when this God stands beside you, you tell me what challenge or obstacle is too great for you. You tell me what it is that you can't face with this God at your side. You tell me who or what can hurt you. God expresses it this way in Isaiah 43 when Isaiah writes, but this is what the Lord says. This is what God says, remember? He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honor in my sight, and because I love you. Because... He loves you. He is with you. And there are no lengths he won't go to in order to protect you. I notice that we still have to walk through the fire occasionally. We still have to wade through the waters. But the assurance is that you'll not be burned. That you'll not be drowned because you belong to this invincible God who is with you. And in fact, even if what has you most anxious today does end up taking your life or the life of a loved one, you are still his because even death cannot separate you from his presence. That is how big and powerful our God is. That even death can't get in the way of my relationship 
with him. God has promised you his presence. As we get close to wrapping up, I want you to do me a favor. Grab your bulletin with me. I, I, I so love when you're following along and taking notes because I know that you're, you're connecting with God's word. Inside your bulletin is this card. It looks a little different than normal. And I want you to grab this right now. I know we tell you to do that every weekend. This weekend, I, I really want you to pull it out because I, I want you to do something on it for me. On the back, you're gonna see four sections that are titled Discover, Connect, Grow, and Love. This, this is our mission at Memphis Christian Church. That we would discover who God is, that we would connect with real people, that we would grow in our faith, and that we would love with intention as God has called us to love him and to love other people. Every weekend, we're going to ask you to pull this out and respond to what you've heard through God's word in that discover section under my story. And we're going to give you just different ways that you can think about the things that we've been talking about and things that you can write down just, just for yourself. I mean, you don't have to turn this in, but but just for yourself. Last week in staff meeting, Amy shared with us a list of things that our kids had written down during midweek as they responded to what they had learned. And as she read the list, we were just struck by the heaviness of what our kids were facing. See, Parker's not the only one who deals with anxiety and loneliness. Some kids had written that down. They'd written down sadness, the loss of loved ones or loved ones who are sick, parents who are dealing with addiction, people they know who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was, it was hard to hear the things that are going through our children's minds. But one of the encouraging things to us was that they knew. They knew who was with them. They knew who they could present those requests to because they were presenting them as prayers to this God who has promised his presence to them. They, they knew who it was who was their helper in their time of need. And I want us to do the th same thing this morning. Under that section of Discover, I want you to write down, where is it this week that you need to know of God's presence? Where is it this week that you know you have to go, that you need to be assured that God is with you in that place? That when you go back to work tomorrow or back to school tomorrow, or maybe you're heading into a doctor's appointment this week, you're waiting for an update on where things stand, or maybe it's just back home. Home is not a safe place for everybody. So maybe just going back home, you need God's presence with you. And perhaps for a while, you forgot that he's with you in those places. And you've allowed something else to go before you. You've made an idol into something and you've allowed that to take God's place as your primary form of protection and safety. Write that down too. Right it is what you've replaced God with. And then I want you to, as we sing this song about God being the only one that we need in these places, I want you to pray that God would remind you of his presence in that place where you're going. Not necessarily that you would feel it because we don't always feel it. But we have the promise and we know that what God says is true. We know that God can't lie. We know that God can't break his promises. And so when God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, 
you can be assured that wherever it is you're going, he's right there with you. So please take a minute and just write that down for yourself that you'd be reminded of his presence. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, I, I don't always feel your presence. And where, where I need you today is I, I need you in my, in my parenting. I need you in my ability to, to teach my son these things because I've often forgotten them myself. And I've allowed other things to get in the way and to replace you. Whatever it is that gets written down here today, Lord, remind us by your word, by your promise of who you are and what you've done, that if we love you, if we believe in your son, that we already have your presence with us. You've given that to us. So Lord, as we sing this song, may you be glorified in it. Just as Moses asked, may you go with us wherever we go because it's not even worth it if you're not there. But we know that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to come and share that with us, we would love to pray with you. If you need to have God's presence with you because you've not yet responded, this is your opportunity to come.